Well, good morning. Welcome to Ambassador Church. We are excited to go back into our series that we started earlier this year called Kingdom Culture. And today we're going to be looking at the section of scripture that we would call the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talking to us about how we deal with others around us. You know, one of the challenges uh, that has taken place in this COVID-19 pandemic is how we deal with people around us, our, our relationships. Since we're all removed from the context of dealing with interpersonal relationships, with whether it's our jobs or people that we uh, are near in our work, many of us have removed from uh, some of the common irritants of, of, of relationships, whether it be an irritating coworker or a narcissistic boss or whoever that may be. But there's another kind of challenge that I think oftentimes we neglect or forget. And that challenge is this, that oftentimes the most dangerous people that we deal with are people that are closest to us. It could be even our immediate families. One of the challenges facing our, our pandemic is the rise of domestic violence in the home. I read an article that had the title, UN warned six months of coronavirus lockdowns could lead to 31 million cases of domestic violence. In other words, uh, one of the, the challenges of, of living in this quarantine life are sometimes the most dangerous people are the people that are right under the same roof. Uh, according to uh, other research, that they are predicting over 61 million further instances of, of abuse. As CBS uh, News reported, it is a growing crisis within a crisis. I just want to take a few moments here just to say if you are suffering in any type of domestic violence, we want to uh, ask that you seek help, whether it's to call a national hotline like 1-800-799-SAFE, or contact your local police or even the church. We want to help you during this time, especially if you feel like you are trapped. But most of us, when we deal with a relationship, it may not be that extreme. We all deal with negative relationships in some ways. There are a lot of things that are hard to deal with. If I were to list a, a list of, of hard people to deal with, uh, the list is almost infinite for some of us. In a book by two medical doctors called Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in the People Who Are at Their Worst, they mention all sorts of type of people that we have to deal with. People who are what they would call the tank, the sniper, the know-it-all, the grenade person, the yes person, the no person, the maybe person, the nothing person. These are the people that are part of our lives. And whether we like it or not, we have to learn how to deal with them. And as part of God's kingdom, uh, in this kingdom culture, is how do we as Christians deal with these interpersonal relationships? Because it can be tough. One person said this, if you want plenty of experience in dealing with difficult people, then have kids. Now I think for many of us, uh, for those of you who are kids who are watching, uh, the joke is really this, that all of us have to deal with people that are, make us uncomfortable. And for you kids, it may be your parents, it may be your siblings. But as we deal with difficult people, we have to ask ourselves, how does the gospel affect the people around us? Now, in Matthew chapter seven, uh, Jesus is giving a sermon. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. And in the previous sections, he talked about the importance of how a Christian, a disciple, deals with their wealth. And Jesus says in chapter 6, Do not store up your treasure uh, 
in earth, but instead treasure, uh, put up your treasures in heaven. The second thing he transitions to is he talks about worry. That a disciple shouldn't worry because God takes care of them. So in our relationship with God, we are to focus on not building the wrong treasure and not worrying about the things that we have. Then in chapter 7 now, he switches to interpersonal relationships. And it begins by saying these words. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. You know, the thing about human relationships is this, that oftentimes the criteria for dealing with people is oftentimes exterior. So in these few verses, he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, one of the things about this passage is this, and it's probably one of the most misunderstood or misrepresented uh, verses in the Bible. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't judge, you're a Christian, you can't judge, the Bible says do not judge. So what does this passage mean? Well, I think what's important is that Jesus is not talking about just blanket uh, discernment or blanket uh, judgment on others. But what he's talking specifically about are people who make value judgments just upon the external. Or in some ways, what, they're, what Jesus is talking about is making almost absolute pronouncements. It's basically saying, do not judge, because you are placing yourself as God. Now think about that. When we make absolute pronouncements on people that this is the type of people they are, based upon external criteria, we are, in some sense, playing God. And it's dangerous for us as Christians that we are to be in that position of power, because that's not our position. That's God's position. But it's sad, isn't it, that when we look at our culture, it's so easy for us to judge people based upon the color of their skin or based upon their socioeconomic status. And it's easy for us to even judge people of different political persuasion, whether you are on the left or right or in the middle. It's sometimes we can make blanket statements, this person is this way because of what they do. Well, in reality, God calls us to be careful. And the reason we are to be careful is this, because the measure in which we judge is the measure in which people will judge us. He says this in verse, uh, verse 2, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Think about this, whatever measurement you use, other people will use on you. You know, oftentimes we want uh, people to like us, and, and we want people to give us mercy and to give us grace. But in reality, unless we are willing to give mercy and grace first, we can't expect that from others. You know, the opposite of judgment is mercy. Because what mercy does, it, it sees people not in their uh, state of being, but what they could be. In other words, we give people deference. We give people allowance to fail. And that's what the heart of God is, isn't it? He is a merciful God. Rather than judging us because of just our sinfulness, yes, He does judge us for that. And we are condemned. But He also demonstrates mercy that even though we deserve judgment, eternal punishment, that God doesn't use that as His only criteria. But instead, He demonstrates mercy by placing Himself upon the cross. You know, I think judging is one of the things that sort of shows our heart condition. It shows sort of the, the depravity of our hearts. 
Oftentimes, have you noticed, that people who judge the harshest are the ones who are the most, sometimes the most negative people, or the ones who are harboring their own sins. The Bible admonishes us to examine ourselves. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says this, Examine yourself to see whether you are in, fest, uh, in faith. Test yourself. Jesus says that before we judge others, that the right judgment comes first in our own state of being, in our own condition. He says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck uh, a sawdust in a brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? It's almost a comical uh, uh, sort of illustration that Jesus is using. That somebody has this little problem, and you have this huge problem sticking out of your eye, and you want to help them with their problem. The gospel response as Christians in dealing with relationships is that we have to look at ourselves first. You could apply this in any human relationships, can't you? Whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our marriages. How easy it is for us in our marriages to look at the other person as being the problem. See, I think the important thing that the Bible reminds us is that we have to look within. We have to confess our sins first before we confront the sins of others. But some of us, if we get stuck on verse uh, 2 to verse 5, we just say, okay, don't judge. Well, does that mean that we can't discern? And, and he transitions to the second command in human relationships. Not are we not to judge externally, but to judge rightly. We are also to discern wisely. Now, discern wisely, what does he mean by that? And look at verse 6. He gives a paradoxical statement. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample under them in their feet and then churn and tear you to pieces. Now, the point is this, that when we are not to judge, what Jesus is not saying for us is it's, it's, it's just, you know, just accept everybody and let them do whatever they please. Well, I think sometimes we as Christians fall into these extremes, don't we? We judge somebody just on the wrong criteria and their external behavior, their sinfulness, and we make it these blanket judgments on people, and that's, that's negative. But the other side is that there are Christians who are so compassionate, so merciful, so gracious, that we don't discern people. And so we let people run all over us. Here's the balance that Jesus is talking about. We need to judge rightly. Don't look at just the external criteria. Don't be God. Look within. But secondly, discern wisely. What does discern wisely mean? Well, in those days, there were two animals that were considered very unclean. One was um, dogs. Uh, in other words, the Gentiles were considered dogs. Dogs were like scavengers. Uh, they're not the kind of dogs that you have in your homes, which are pets that, that you groom and take care of. These are dogs that would go and, and, and uh, steal things, and they were oftentimes very dirty and unclean and wild and vicious. At the same time, there, there were uh, pigs who you would throw uh, scraps of food to, and, and oftentimes uh, in the Jewish culture, of course, they were considered unclean because they would eat things that, that were just some of the things that, that were garbage. And so Jesus is making the point, look at the condition of the person as well. We have to discern wisely. 
Because there are people that are going to treat you wrongly. And again, we just don't blanketly give acceptance to everybody in that way. Or we give people places of honor when they are people of dishonor. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? And this is where discernment comes in. So we are called to discern. Because I think one of the most important characteristics of, of maturing disciples is wise discernment. We're called to discern people that are or false prophets. And we see this in scripture that in Matthew 7:15 it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Jesus is making the point that there are people that are going to pretend to be good people, but that they're oftentimes wolves. As Christians, we got to be very careful in who we listen to. We've got to be careful even to discern wisely of our leadership whether it's your pastor, whether it's your elder, whether it's your small group leaders, to make sure that we do what the Bible commands us to do, which is this, that we need to discern everything through the lens of Scripture. When Jesus, I'm sorry, when Paul went to Berea, uh, and one of the things about the Berean church, he says that they examined daily to see if what Paul said was true. And I think discernment is that. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to be caught up with something that is, is false. I heard a story about a woman named uh, Saley Wilkes, and this is a true story. And she was proud of her little succulent plant. Um, but just as she was taking care of it, she would just spend hours taking care of this little plant. She said this, I was so proud of that plant. It was full, a beautiful coloring, just an overall perfect plant. I had a watering plan for it. If someone else tried to water my succulent, I, I would get so defensive because I wanted to take good care of it. I absolutely loved my succulent. When Wilkes decided it was ready for her to transplant into a larger vase, she was shocked to find that the plant was actually plastic. She said, I put so, so, I put so much love into this plant. I washed its leaves, tried my hardest to keep it looking its best, and it's completely plastic. How did I not know? I pulled it out of its container sitting and there was styrofoam glued to it. Apparently, the plant's inability to soak up water never clued in, into Wilkes about the nature of our plant because real succulents don't require much water. Isn't it interesting how so many of us are like this? That it's easy for us to look at the external in, in the wrong way as well. And oftentimes, discernment allows us to see what is truly inside if something is real or something is fake. In relationships, it's important to not only judge rightly, but to discern wisely. But there's a third and final command that Jesus gives regarding human relationships. And I think in some ways, this marks the attitude of a disciple. Because here is really the heart of God. And we see an example of the heart of God. And it's this. That in human relationships, we as Christians need to give generously. Notice what he says in these next few verses. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And who he knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will, not give, will give him stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more than your heavenly Father in heaven gives good things to those who seek Him. 
Here we see the nature of God. Now, we know when Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock, what he's really talking about is prayer. That those were just three words for the same thing. That Jesus was describing the way in which we are to pray. But here's the thing about prayer. The reason that prayer is so effective is that we are praying to a God who's generous. We are praying to a God who desires to give good things to his children. Now think about this. Oftentimes when we pray, do we think of God being a generous God? Do we think of a God who looks out for our well-being? See, I think for us who are parents, this is kind of the state of what parenthood should be. That we as parents want to give good things to our children. And oftentimes the reason we say no is not because we don't love our children. It's because it's not in their best interest or their well-being. We want to be generous parents. I think most of us parents want to do that. But then the comparison that Jesus makes is this. How much more, even if our motives are evil, even if our heart is corrupt by sin, that our God, who is a perfect God, gives generously to all who ask. Our prayer life is connected to the generosity of God. But here's the important thing, the lesson here is that the heart of God should be the heart of every disciple. That we are to be people that give generously to others. And I think in terms of relationships, I think this is an important part. Because oftentimes one of the attributes of sin is selfishness. That we hoard, we keep to ourselves. But the attribute of a God-like person or a follower of Jesus is that we demonstrate the heart of generosity. And here's the thing about generosity. We can never outgive God. Proverbs reminds us, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. Hebrews, Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will be himself be refreshed. You know, I think one of the keys to human relationship is this. Are you a generous person? Are you the one who's willing to forsake and to give up your rights for somebody else? Are you willing to loan somebody money, of course, within reason, without the expectation of them paying you back? I, I heard many years ago that if you ever loan somebody money, friends or family, think of it not as a loan, think of it as a gift. Because most times they, they may never pay you back. But you know what? Here's the, the, the message of the gospel, is that God gave himself to us. And the thing that is exciting for us as Christians is that even as we give to others, we are demonstrating by our generosity, the generosity of God. I just want to th thank you for your generous gifts to the church during this time. Uh, we have been very grateful for all of you who have given, even though you haven't been able to come on Sunday. Thank you for giving online and, and changing the way in which you give. But the reason we give reminds us something that we give not to the church, but that we're giving back to what God has given to us. And I think in many ways, these things summarize our relationship with God. And this is what the, the, the gospel is, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that oftentimes what God has given to us is the most generous gift, and that's salvation. But that generous gift had a price. And that price was his life, his blood. So when God extends generosity to us, 
we in churn express generosity to one another. Are you the type of person that hoards, keeps to yourself, that is so protective of your things? I, one of the realities of this pandemic is you realize that everything could be lost very quickly, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our source of income, whether it's even in terms of human relationships. You can never outgive God. And it starts oftentimes with one act of kindness. You know, many years ago, I remember um, when I first planted a church in Washington, D.C. I was a young pastor, just first church plant. And I was worried about resources. I was worried about finances. And I began to pray and say, God, how are you going to supply for this church? And I remember uh, speaking at a, a youth retreat. And it was in, uh, uh, in Georgia. And it was about 100 youth kids. And at the end of the, the sermon, I, I shared the story about planting a new church in Washington, D.C., a multi-ethnic church. And I asked for their prayers. Well, a few months later, um, I was studying out in Chicago for my doctoral work, and I get a phone call from my wife who told me we got a, a check in the mail, or we got a, 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 a card in the mail. It happened to be one of the girls at the camp. Her name was Christina. And Christina lived in a small little city called Rome, Georgia. And she had written in the card, she said this, Dear Pastor Ray, I wish one day when I grow up, I can go to a church like yours, a church for all people. I don't have a lot of money, but I want to give you something. And enclosed in that card was a $5 bill. Now, some of you may think about $5 bill not being much, but that to me, was the most valuable gift. Because this little girl's faith was planted in that church. She believed that this church could start. And even though she didn't have a lot, this is what she gave. And out of that, I was reminded of the generosity of God. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how little you have. But as you give to others, you are reminding people that it is out of our sacrifice that we bless others. Like I said, you can't outgive God. You know, one of the things about giving as well is that I, I remember what C.S. Lewis wrote. If our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, and amusements is up to the same standard common among those with the same income as our own, then we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we like to do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. You know, it reminds me that God's sacrifice for us is the basis of all things. And it's the basis of our relationship with each other, isn't it? That we are to judge, not externally, not just on superficial criteria, but we are to judge rightly. Secondly, we are to discern wisely because there are some people that we know are, are, are consistently uh, doing harm and we need to confront that. But thirdly, we need to give generously. So as we sum up the gospel, the good news is that that's how God demonstrated his love for us in this. 
that while we were still sinners, instead of just condemning judgment on us, he demonstrated mercy by bringing his son. And he discerned wisely, of course, that he knew that some, like us, would come to, to place our faith in him. But God demonstrates consistently his generosity. So if you're losing hope, if you're losing a sense of kind of grip on reality and, and life is getting too hard and, and maybe you feel violent or, or stressed. And one of the reasons that domestic violence is, is on such a rise is because of all these things that are happening. Remember, place your faith in Jesus. Remember that God is a generous God and he will give beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. So that's the word of encouragement. Be people of generosity as well. That when you go back to your workplaces, when you go back into your places of, of school and, and whatever context you want, let's be people who lead with generosity. 